9 today. So today we're looking at a passage about slavery, and this isn't a topic that gets preached on very often. Preachers tend to skip over texts like today's text, or if they preach them, they do what I did the last time I preached on this passage. They apply it to boss-employee relationships in the workplace. After all, some of us feel like slaves at work, right? <laughs> but, but whatever application we can make from today's passage to the workplace, it's not originally about being an employee. It's about being a literal slave. Slavery is a topic most of us don't relate to today. Sure, sadly, the truth is that there is still slavery in the world today. Even more sadly, some of us may be wearing clothes or may have eaten food this past week, which was produced by slaves, and maybe we didn't even know it. But for most of us th this morning, slavery feels like a far-off, irrelevant topic to us. And, and so it's more than a little embarrassing to us that right here in our Bibles, which we love, we read the words, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Perhaps just as embarrassing is the fact that, that slavery is a part of our history as Americans and a, as American Christians. After all, there was a time before the Civil War when Christians vigorously debated whether the Bible allowed slavery. For example, in the early 1840s, both the Baptists and the Methodist denominations split on the issue of slavery. In the case of the Baptists, the split was where the well-known Southern Baptist denomination came from. To some extent, this debate over slavery was a debate over what the Bible taught on this issue. Though interestingly, even some Christian abolitionists who were passionately against slavery admitted that the Bible allowed slavery. These Christian abolitionists said, fine, the Bible allows slavery, but we have to look beyond the Bible to other moral reasons that slavery must be ended. Well, this sort of reasoning didn't sit well with more conservative Christians because to them it undercut the authority of the Bible. And, and so for, for some of these more conservative churches, you had them condemning slavery on the one hand and yet vigorously disagreeing with certain abolitionists on the other because they felt they were using worldly arguments like morality in general or enlightened reason instead of the Bible to make their point. It's an interesting parallel to Christians today who, who might be in favor of women's equality, but might also at the same time be opposed to much of what the feminist movement is espousing. So it just goes to show that, that there are a lot of different views out there, even among Bible-believing Christians. Well, anyway, the issue of, of slavery and what the Bible says about it is, is a good example of how committed Christians can disagree on how to understand and how to interpret passages in the Bible. And so I thought today's passage would be a good one to help us think through how do we interpret the Bible? And what role does our culture play in how we interpret the Bible? It's interesting, isn't it, that in the early 1800s, two churches could read the same Bible, one in the north, let's say, and one in the south, and the church in the north might see clearly that the Bible doesn't, isn't really in favor of slavery, and one in the south might come to the opposite conclusion, <laughs> Our culture does have a way of influencing what we see when we open this book. You know, we'd like to believe the Bible is clear and that either people are willing to believe what's in it or, or they aren't. As, as the well-known bumper sticker puts it, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. 
Well, if what the Bible says is that clear, then, then I guess we're going to have to admit that God is okay with slavery. Because look at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. It doesn't get much clearer than that. Or how about another example on a different topic? Exodus 35.5. Another clear verse. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Any of you got a fireplace at home? A wood stove? A furnace? I hope you're not lighting it on the Sabbath. It'd be nice to believe the Bible's clear and straightforward, but the reality is that sometimes it's not. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why the Bible isn't always so clear, and, and then how do we interpret it properly? This would be a good sermon to take notes if you're a note taker. This would be a different kind of sermon, kind of a, a workshop kind of sermon. Because I hope I, I can shed some practical light on how to better read and study the Bible. So here's the first point you want to write down if you're taking notes. And that's the reason why the Bible, you've got to bring your own paper or write on your bulletin. Sorry. Um, so first, the reason why the Bible isn't always clear. And the reason is this, because communication is hard work. Yes, it is. And, and Liz isn't even married. <laughs> right? But if you've had any sort of close relationship, you know that communication is hard work. We're prone to misunderstand each other. And my wife says that she and I speak different languages. I speak guy, she speaks girl. And, and so let me give you an example of this, and, and you can help me. So first, guys. In guy language, this statement, honey, the garbage can is full. <laughs> In guy language, is that a statement of fact, or is that a request to do something? In guy language, it's obviously a statement of fact, right? The garbage can is full. But how about ladies? In girl language, what is that? That's a request, right? <laughs> so I'm not the only one who has these misunderstandings in my marriage. Communication is difficult. What's clear to one person isn't always so clear to another person. We're prone to misunderstand each other. And, and so let me ask you, uh, yeah, let me ask you, wouldn't it be tragic if we misunderstood God? If we thought God meant A, but actually God was saying B, wouldn't that be bad? Well, if we want to avoid that kind of miscommunication, then we're going to have to work hard at it, just like we work hard at our human relationships to try to communicate. And so when we hear God's word say something surprising like, slaves obey your masters, instead of saying, okay, got it, that's clear, the Bible supports slavery, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Instead, we have to do what I've had to learn to do with Anne and what she's had to learn to do with me. We have to probe, we have to dig deeper to make sure we're not miscommunicating. How do we do this? Well, with another person, we, we talk it out. If we can't talk it out with each other, we bring in a third party, a counselor, to help us talk it out. I've learned to ask, um, when Ann says, honey, the garbage is full, <laughs> to say, oh, does that mean you'd like me to empty it? 
how soon? <laughs> right? <laughs> or were you planning on having one of the kids do it? Um, we've got to talk it out. We've got to learn to communicate. Anne's not here today. I'm gl glad for that, I guess. <laughs> um, but but uh, this, yeah. <laughs> Anne's going to get this one in the mail. <laughs> um, well, how do we do this with God? Because Anne's right there. I can see her. She answers back audibly, but God doesn't usually do that, right? So, so how do we work hard at communicating with God? Well, we ask God our questions in prayer. God, did you mean this? Did you mean that? And then we listen for his answer. And, and more times than not, we expect God's answer to come to us from this book. And, and so we have to dig around in, in the scripture looking for clarification. We have to find out how other Christians have understood it as well. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Using this passage on slavery as an example. How do we understand this book? How do we understand it clearly and try to, miss, or try to minimize our misunderstandings of it? Well, first, as we come to this book, we have to remember two things. Here's the first one. There is no naked truth. There is no naked truth. Let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is that truth always comes clothed in culture. Truth never comes to us naked, floating off above us in space in the abstract. And so, for instance, God never tells us what he thinks about slavery just in general. God doesn't make some divine, audible, shout-it-from-heaven pronouncement about slavery. No, what does God do instead? He gives us this book, written by dozens of authors in three different languages over hundreds of years in various times and cultures. All of it inspired, breathed by God, for sure, so that, as one theologian put it, what this book says, God says. But how does God say it? God speaks truth to us, not naked, but clothed in culture. And so God tells us through Moses how the Israelites needed to handle slavery in the desert lands of the rural Middle East 3,000 years ago. And then God tells us through Peter how the Gentile converts in Asia Minor needed to handle slavery 2,000 years ago. And then God tells us through Paul how the Roman households of Ephesus needed to handle slavery. And also through Paul and Philemon, how a slaveholder named Philemon needed to handle the return of his runaway slave Onesimus. And in each case, we've got truth clothed in culture. Spoken in, in a certain language, not English. Spoken in a certain economic and political situation at a certain time in history. And we're left to read everything God has said to these different people in different places, different cultures, different times, and to try to figure out how it all relates to our culture in a different time and a different place from those. Because for Christians, we believe there's no naked truth. We aren't like some religions which believe that God verbally dictated his word in a certain language, and if we want to understand it, we've got to learn that language. Because that's the only heavenly language. 
And we aren't Neoplatonic philosophers, which believe that the physical world is bad and, and that only the pure intellectual world is good. And so we've got to try to escape from this world and all of the details of, of real life and, and, and real culture and instead to focus our minds in an ivory tower on pure abstract ideas, naked truths. No, we believe in a God who made this physical world and said that it was good and who embraced his creation to the extent that he came down and became a part of it. God became a part of a culture incarnate in a man, a Jewish man, a poor Jewish man living in Palestine 2,000 years ago. When God himself came down among us, he came not as naked God, but clothed in culture. And so the Bible comes to us in culture too. That's why sometimes it's hard to understand. The word of God comes written in languages and addressed to people in terms that their cultures could understand. In some cases, addressing issues in those cultures which we don't face or even understand today. And so a question we always run into when we read the Bible is, how do we take what we're reading about in a foreign culture, an ancient culture, and apply it to ourselves today? Well, I'll tell you how most of us do it. We use common sense. <laughs> we use common sense. So for example, we, we might read in Leviticus that we should not wear clothing that combines two different kinds of threads. No wool and cotton mixed. No linen and camel's hair mixed. And so we ask, does that still apply to us today? And we answer using common sense, no. It doesn't apply to us today. Common sense. What, whatever it meant to the Hebrews back then, it doesn't mean that to us. God doesn't care if we wear a cotton poly blend. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just common sense, right? Well, guess what? The second thing we need to realize when we read the Bible is that we can't always trust common sense. Do you know why? Because common sense is usually really just cultural sense. What's common sense in China is not necessarily common sense in Sweden. Or, or, or take a Christian who lives in the Middle East in a small village. And in, in their culture, let's say, every woman they've ever seen wears a headscarf in public except prostitutes. And when they read that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that a woman should cover their heads in church, how do they respond? Well, of course, it's just common sense. But what about us in here in America? Is it common sense to us that women need to wear headscarves in church? Well, well of course not. For, for many of us, it's common sense that that was for a different culture which doesn't relate to us. Well, whose common sense is right? The, the church in the Middle East or the church in New York? I was going to say New York City. New, New York. <laughs> Are, is their common sense right or is our common sense right? Let me give you another example. Romans 16, 16. God commands the Christians in Rome, which is in Italy, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Does that apply to us today? Well, yeah, <laughs> Italian in the front row. Well, I come from a pretty staid German background. And, and I can tell you that it was just common sense to my family that that command was cultural and didn't apply to us today. You know, a stiff handshake was a good alternative. 
Um, but you go hang around with some Italian Christians, <laughs> and uh, a lot of kissing makes perfect sense to them, right, Jerry? <laughs> Common sense is very often just cultural sense. We can't always trust common sense because it varies culture to culture. Okay, so back to our passage. Slaves, obey your masters. On the one hand, it seems clear that the Bible condones slavery. But we have to remember communication is hard work. And that no truth is naked truth. That all truth comes to us clothed in culture. And so on the other hand, common sense might tell us that this was cultural for that time and place because God can't really be in favor of slavery. But then we remember we can't trust our common sense because our common sense is just cultural too. So how do we proceed? How do we proceed? What rules of thumb can we use when studying the Bible to figure out what applies to us and, and what doesn't apply to us in our culture today? Well, there are two common rules of thumb uh, that are often taught about how to interpret Scripture. Maybe you learn these somewhere along the line in a Bible study or a class about how to study the Bible. Both of these rules of thumb have some truth to them, but both of them have limitations that we have to be careful of, which I'll explain. Let's look at each of them. The first rule of thumb is that we should let the clear passages of Scripture interpret the less clear ones. That seems like good advice, right? And it is. But we've got to be careful with it. It has limitations. Let me give you an example. In the book of Philemon, you can turn there if you, if you have your Bible and you know how to find Philemon quickly. <laughs> it's a short little book. Blink and you'll miss it. Paul has a lot to say about slavery in that little letter of Philemon. In the letter, Paul is sending back Onesimus, a runaway slave, to the slave's master who was named Philemon. In the meantime, though, Paul had led Onesimus to believe in Christ and to follow Christ. And so when Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, Paul sends him back with the letter of Philemon. And in this letter, Paul tells Philemon, the slaveholder, in verses 8 and following, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Verse 12, I'm sending him, Onesimus, back to you. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So what is Paul saying here about slavery? Is he asking Philemon not to punish Onesimus for running away? Or is he asking Philemon to let Onesimus go free? And if so, why? Is it because Paul got to know Onesimus and he cares about him? Or is it because Paul knows that slavery is wrong? Well, the answers aren't immediately obvious. It could really be any of those things. It's not totally clear. So let's let a clearer text help us understand the less clear text. Like I know, Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. 
Well, there, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Slavery's okay. And so Paul can't be questioning whether Philemon can keep Onesimus as a slave. Um, yeah, Paul can't be questioning that based on Ephesians 5. So that must mean Philemon has nothing to teach us about what God really thinks about slavery because we've got a clearer text which helped us. Neither does Exodus, by the way. Do you remember about Moses, how uh, God raised him up to save the Israelites from slavery? You might be tempted to think that God didn't like slavery. But don't think that because we have a, a clearer text. I said Ephesians 5. It's Ephesians 6, verse 5, the text we're looking at. Slaves are to obey their masters. So it must not be slavery that God dislikes. In Exodus, it must be that God didn't like his chosen people, Israel, being enslaved by a pagan people. So Exodus then also has nothing to teach us about slavery. Because again, we're using a clearer text to interpret a less clear text. So there's two examples of, of how that rule of thumb works or how it might not work as well as we'd like it to. So let me give you two reasons that we have to be careful about using a clear text to interpret a less clear text. One is that it's not always as obvious as we think as to which text is clear. What seems clear to one person isn't always clear to another. What seems clear in one culture isn't always as clear in another. So that's one reason. The second reason we have to be careful about using clear texts to interpret less clear ones is that sometimes texts seem to disagree with each other. Now listen carefully. I'm not saying the Bible has contradictions. I'm not saying that. I fully believe that all of God's word was inspired by one divine author and that God can't contradict God. So I don't believe there are contradictions in the Bible. But there are tensions. There are tensions in the Bible. Do you know why? Because the Bible was written by a bunch of human authors too. And with God's inspiration, those human authors uh, are addressing different situations at different times in different cultures. And so say to the Ephesians, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. And then James can say to his Jewish readers, faith without works is dead. Are they contradicting each other? I don't think so, but they are in tension with each other, right? <laughs> and if we just take our favorite text or the one that we like to think is more clear and we use it to cancel out or to explain away the other one, then we miss out on a huge lesson that we could learn if we tried to grapple with the tension. We, we wind up listening to half of God's word and ignoring the other half. In, in this case, we'd be missing the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. We can't do anything to earn God's favor. And yet, James tells us, faith has everything to do with how we live our lives. And if we claim we have faith, but we don't live like it, then we're probably fooling ourselves. And probably we aren't really putting our faith in God at all. Do you see how we need both sides of the tension to get the full picture? Again, it's the hard work of communication. Not just saying, well, I don't understand what you said. I, 
one part of it was pretty clear to me, but the other part not so much. So I'm going to run with the clear part, and I'm just going to ignore the rest of it. No, we've got to wrestle with all of it. The psalmist says, blessed are those who meditate on God's word day and night, struggling with it, chewing on it. That's what we've got to do if we're going to better understand God's heart and God's mind. Why? Because God's heart is too big to be fully comprehended or communicated by one biblical writer's skill. God's wisdom is too intricate and profound to be captured in one language or one cultural setting. The riches of God's truth are too great to be contained by one culture. So God gave us a lot of writers, a lot of situations, a lot of cultures to give us a fuller, more nuanced and multifaceted understanding of who God is and what God wants to say and what God's doing in the world. Yes, take the clear text seriously, but be careful not to use them too quickly to silence or to write off what seem to you to be the not-so-clear texts. Do the hard work of grappling with the not-so-clear texts as well. After all, they're God's word too, right? Second rule of thumb that we need to be careful about using as we interpret the Bible. It's this. It's, it's the rule of thumb that says, the way you can tell if a scripture applies only to that culture or whether it applies to all cultures is you see if the writer gives us the reason for what they said. Do they give a cultural reason? Or do they give a scriptural reason? For example, if Paul had said, slaves, obey your masters, because through your good behavior you may win them to Christ. If Paul had said that, then, then we might think, well, God doesn't really approve of slavery, but slavery was a reality in that culture, and so Paul's support for slavery was only back then because slaves couldn't get free, so they might as well be a good witness to their masters while they were slaves. Right? We might say that. On the other hand, if, if Paul had said, Slaves, obey your masters, for it is written, Psalm 138, The Lord looks kindly on the lowly. If Paul had said that, well, then we might be tempted to think that slavery is okay with God and all slaves all through history should obey their masters because God likes, God blesses the lowly and slaves are lowly. You see how this rule of thumb works? You, you look at the reasoning the biblical author uses, gives and whether they use scripture to support it to see if a specific command is only cultural or for that situation or whether it applies universally to every situation. So that's the rule of thumb. But here's why that rule of thumb doesn't always work. And here's why we have to be careful with it. It's a good rule of thumb, but we have to use it carefully. Because there are cases in the New Testament where the New Testament writers clearly address a specific cultural situation and yet they quote scripture to support it. Stick with me. I know we're getting a little bit technical here at the end, but this is important. So let me give you an example. This is a case where a New Testament writer clearly is addressing a specific cultural situation, and yet they use Scripture to support it. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.13. Again, turn there if you know where to find 2 Corinthians. It's pretty close to Ephesians, just a, about three books back. Chapter 8, verse 13, and we're almost done here this morning. In this story, Paul is collecting money for the church at Corinth, or from the church at Corinth. This is part of a larger collection that Paul's doing from a bunch of 
Gentile churches, non-Jewish churches in the Roman Empire. And the collection is to help out the Jewish church back in Jerusalem because there's a famine in Jerusalem and those folks are hurting. So Paul's collecting money. It's a specific situation in that culture and time. And Paul says to those Corinthians, verse 13 now in chapter 8, Our desire is not that others might be relieved, that's those in Jerusalem, while you are hard-pressed in Corinth, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. And then jumping down to verse 15, Paul quotes a scripture to support what he says. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's quoting the book of Exodus. Paul wants the Corinthians to contribute to this collection. And he quotes from scripture about the time the Israelites were gathering manna in the desert. And they measured what each gathered so that everyone wound up with the same amount. And Paul wants the same to be true of the believers in Corinth and the believers in Jerusalem. A specific situation, not directly applicable to us today, Paul's not saying that it's the duty of all Gentile Christians all through history to collect money and send it to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And yet Paul does quote a scripture to give the reason that he wanted the Corinthians to do so back then. And so just because a scripture is quoted to back it up doesn't mean the command is always applicable. And I'll tell you why that is. Because when the biblical writers are quoting scripture to back up their point, It's usually because the scripture they're quoting is teaching a principle and they're applying that principle to the situation they're addressing. Like Paul, by quoting Exodus, is applying the principle of equality. The principle that those with a lot are sharing with those who don't have enough. That doesn't mean that Gentile churches should always collect money and send it to Jewish churches. Because in another situation, let's say if the Gentile churches were poor, if they had a famine and the Jewish churches were rich, the scripture that Paul quoted might lead to exactly the opposite application of what Paul says to do in 1 Corinthians. Are you following me? (laughs) I know it's getting a bit technical. So again, just because a biblical writer backs up their command with scripture doesn't mean that it directly applies to us today. We have to look at what the principle is that they were drawing from that scripture. All right. So, we looked at a lot of cautions. Ways not to interpret scripture. Pitfalls that we have to be careful of. A lot of false paths that we could go down when when interpreting a tough passage like slaves submit to your masters. Then, of course, the question is, how should we interpret it then, right? (laughs) How do we tell when and if it applies today? What rules or or principles can we use to interpret the scriptures as best as we can? And you'll have to come back next week to find out. (laughs) 